for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. 12 seconds left. Packers need a touchdown. They have no timeouts. Rodgers. Pressure coming. Hit as he throws. Is it a fumble or is it incomplete? Minnesota picks it up. And the Vikings look like they have it. Oh, man, the replay of that, of Aaron Rodgers, and then the still frame of him getting belted from behind by a Viking defender. That's that's just a poster for every little Vikings fan who grows up to be an adult Vikings fan in their lives. Uh, it, it's a picture and a thing of beauty, no matter how awful the Minnesota Vikings are. In fact, maybe... When they are awful, it's even sweeter. When you have nothing going for you except a potential top five draft pick and you go ahead and beat the Packers, who are supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFC, a win away from the Super Bowl last year, uh, to do it and do it by punching them in the mouth over and over again. Good old-fashioned purple football. Mike Zimmer's big flipping of the bird, the big FU to not just the Packers, but perhaps his own management and to Kirk Cousins, neutering Kirk Cousins all day. Uh, that was good old-fashioned football. Must have been fun for Vikings fans, except for those that were hoping that they would just keep losing to get as high of a draft pick as possible, which is an ongoing topic throughout the season, our first season of Nobody's Listening Anyway. I'm John Gaskins. We'll talk about the goofers goofing up on Friday night, giving up a mile of yards to uh, Maryland. And if we're just going to go back to the Glenn Mason or Jerry Kill days of, you know, mediocrity and going to Nashville for a bowl game every year, and if you're okay with that. Uh, Huskers are getting raked over the coals for trying to play a football game last Friday by the national media and everyone else in the Big Ten. And by the way, they didn't call South Dakota State. They could have. We'll get into that. The Jacks, meanwhile, did play their scrimmage and covering it and talking about the Jacks, and we'll do a little Yotes, football and basketball, for the first time in our eight episodes of Nobody's Listening Anyway, my co-host, Matt Zimmer, who's joining us once again uh, remotely today. Neither of us are at Gateway Lounge. We won't get into why, but we encourage you to go there if you're a big sports fan and like awesome food and service. But uh, Matthew, good evening. Uh, you have uh, never been on Tank for Trevor or Tank for anybody and so, therefore, you were able to watch that game with the same eyes of a Vikings fan that you always are, just enjoying being the pants off the Packers. Yeah, it was a fun game to watch. Um, you know, there have been a lot of times over the years where I've gone into a Sunday where the Vikings were playing a game that everyone kind of expected them to lose, and I kind of thought, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they did the unexpected and won this game just because no one thinks they're going to. This was not one of those. I did not come into this. I, like, I almost even was like, do I even watch? You know, I mean, they were so non-competitive when they played Green Bay at home. It was hard to think they would be better on the road uh, coming off, you know, another, you know, being one in five, all the questions having potentially begun a fire sale by, you know, trading Yannick and Gakwe and, uh, it, it, there just really wasn't a whole, and we didn't even know if Dalvin Cook was going to play for sure. 
I mean, there was just really no reason at all to think that they could even be competitive, let alone win. Uh, so I just kind of turned it on and had it on while I kind of did other stuff. And <laughs> I saw the Packers scored first to take a seven, nothing lead and kind of felt like, well, here we go. Uh, but they answered to make it seven, seven. And then I was like, well, all right, they, they punched back. Let's see what happens here. And before you knew it, they, they had my full attention and, um, I'm sure I, like every other Vikings fan, waited uh, until the, the, the very final moment, the play where Aaron Rodgers was, was sacked and fumbled before I felt comfortable, you know, felt like the win was secure. It felt a lot like it was going to be, you know, maybe like the loss to Seattle earlier this year where you say, you know, great effort, great performance against a, a heavy favorite on the road, but you ultimately don't come away with the win. And I would have been okay with that because, again, this is a season we know probably isn't going anywhere. Um, whether you're, you know, support tanking or not, I, I w- certainly wasn't going to lose sleep over it if they did lose, but it's the Packers and it's in Green Bay and it's been a difficult season. Uh, once the game became winnable, I absolutely wanted them to win the game, badly wanted them to win the game, uh, got as emotionally invested in, you know, in this game more than any other game this year. Uh, and again, you know, I, I said this after the the loss to Seattle that, you know, just when you kind of are maybe ready to jump off the Mike Zimmer bandwagon. Uh, he reminds you how he's able to rally the troops, circle the wagons, whatever you want to say, uh, you know, motivate his team to win a game or, you know, in the case of Seattle, almost win a game that they're not supposed to. Uh, it was a great performance and, and it was as a Vikings fan, you know, not just a neutral observer. It was fun too. Yeah. No idea if any of this had to do with motivational genius or not. The Vikings were coming off a of bye week and the Packers are, if anything, the kind of team that the Vikings, when they play the way Mike Zimmer, the old crusty defensive coach, wants them to play, which is run it and don't put it in the hands of your quarterback. Even if that quarterback is being paid $30-plus million, uh, Zimmer has seen enough of Cousins not to trust him, and so I get it. But a running back and a run game is a defensive coach's best friend. And even though Zimmer has looked like a dinosaur, even after the Niners did it with basically the same sort of complementary offensive defensive blueprint to get to the Super Bowl last year, uh, Zimmer is starting to look like an aging dinosaur. And then he just goes out and proves, hey, we, we can still win this way. And why I say the Packers, albeit five and one coming in, play right into their hands, is what has been the knock on the Packers when they actually lose? I mean, they'd only lost four of the last 22 games since uh, Matt LaFleur took over as head coach. But what's the one word people use to describe them when they lose? Soft. They, they, they can't play physical games. They, if you punch them in the teeth right up the middle with the run game, like the Niners did twice in blowout wins, including the NFC title last year, you, you can feast on the Packers. The one way to beat Aaron Rodgers and to prevent him from working his magic and being the most talented quarterback of our lives is to get that team down early and to keep him off the field. And that's, you know, even Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, I interview him every week for a thing we do for Fox Sports 98.1. You know, he said, I said, how can Zimmer mastermind a defense that's lost to Neil Hunter and Anthony Barr and has a bunch of rookies and might have tomato cans and deck chairs playing at cornerback? against Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who had torched the Texans the week before? Well, the answer is just possess the ball as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, Packers had the ball for 40 minutes in that first game when they lit up the Vikings, and it was was much closer to 50-50. I think the Packers had it for 32. But there you go. That's the Mike Zimmer way of winning, and the Packers are susceptible to teams – Again, that that punch you in the mouth. So, and by the way, Aaron Rodgers, I went through this. I think 
either last week or the week before that, the compared to a bunch of other quarterbacks in the NFL, and, and that includes Tim Tebow, <laughs> it was thrown up here. Uh, his winning percentage when his team trails at any point in the game is not good. I mean, he's he's led some fourth quarter comeback drives, but not nearly to the level of some of the best quarterbacks that have come and gone over the last ten years. He 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 was flattened the second he fell behind against Tampa two weeks ago, and. Uh, you know, he didn't have very many possessions to do it, but in general, uh, he, he was also kind of dead on arrival against the Vikings once he fell behind by two touchdowns. And to your point about Zimmer, uh, that, that's, that's one of his absolute Mona Lisa's, isn't it? Uh, again, he had nothing in the secondary. In fact, uh, Cam Dantzler got hurt uh, at one point in that game. And kudos to him for showing us that I don't know if he's a great head coach in the National Football League, but he's a great defensive coordinator, that's for sure. Well, I think, not to take away from Mike Zimmer or, or dispute any of the things you just said, keep in mind the weather was a huge factor. Yeah. Um, you know, you know the, and that played to the Vikings' strengths. I mean, I think they recognized when they saw what the weather was, like, hey, you know, this plays to our advantage. Let's use it. And uh, I thought it was – I didn't realize it until uh, I saw it on the ticker late last night that, you know, the Vikings scored 28 points, four touchdowns. It was on their first four possessions of the game. Yep. But, but that went into like what late into the third quarter. I mean, their four possessions were all these long lengthy drives yep. to think that at the point they had 28 points, they had only possessed the ball four times. That was kind of amazing to me that they were able to establish these long, long drives and have that go deep into the game. I mean, that's really keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field. Um, but again, the fact that the weather was what it was, uh, that makes it awful tough for them to throw the ball down the field. And I, I guarantee you, whether it was in U.S. Bank Stadium or just a better weather day at Lambeau Field, with those cornerbacks the Vikings had playing, um, if the weather had been more conducive, there would have been a lot more throws downfield. And I think the Packers probably would have won the game. I'm not trying to take anything away from what the Vikings did, uh, but a big part of their offense was essentially neutered because of that win. Uh, and that was a huge advantage for the Vikings, especially – uh, you know, the injuries on defense, how inexperienced they were at cornerback. And then when they lost Cam Danzler on top of it, I mean, they were pretty much a mash unit by the second half of that game. Well, plus there's no crowd at Lambeau Field. And if, again, the Vikings had the perfect formula for Mike Zimmer, his ideal world, get ahead, wear them down, with runs over the middle with one of the most punishing running backs in the league, and don't be in a situation where Kirk Cousins has to pass his way back from behind. Now, for what it's worth, with, a, with the same sellout, noisy crowd in great weather at Lambeau Field two years ago, people forget Kirk Cousins might, might have had his best day as a Viking in a tie. I was yep. watching the game at your house where he throws uh, three touchdown drives. He's throwing darts all over the field to Diggs, Thielen, and Rudolph, and he gets a two-point conversion with 30 seconds left uh, just, to, just to force an overtime in which both teams' kickers couldn't get it through the uprights, but uh, no Lambeau Field crowd, I'm sure, helped as well. But Kirk Cousins was never put in a situation where he was, where he was, where he needed to make a play. Dalvin Cook did a lot of the work: 163 yards, 30 rushes. Cousins only threw 14 times. We saw a couple wins last year where Kirk only threw it 10 or 12 times. One was against the Falcons, I think. Another one was against the Raiders. And look again, this is good for a day in Green Bay against a team that just can't handle physical teams. <laughs> Uh, to, to, to suggest that the Vikings can and could win this way and fight their way back into the playoff hunt with this formula is ridiculous. But this does say something, Matt, and, and I, I heard this a couple other places I like to s sniff around and, and listen to Viking talk, is 
it's clear that there's very little trust in Kirk Cousins anymore. And that was, you know, and it, again, it's not a bad game plan. It worked yesterday, but there is very little trust in Kirk Cousins. Well, he's earned that, you know, and, and frankly, even Kirk Cousins himself has said that, you know, I mean, he, uh, after his most recent terrible performance was like, I'm not going to finish the season as a starting quarterback if this keeps up. Um, you know, yesterday, if things had played out differently, if the Packers had been successful at stopping the run, if the Vikings had fallen behind at any point, they probably wouldn't have been able to stick to the game plan that they had, but they were able to leave him as a game manager. Uh, he did that quite well, 11 of 14, you know, no turnovers. Um, I don't think that's, you know, I think it would be stretching it to say that's what you want from him. That's what the Vikings want to do. You know, obviously they paid this guy $30 million to come in and throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, which to his credit, he's done in each of his first two years. Um, but also, you know, what we saw earlier in this season, we were seeing less and less of that guy. As we've said ad nauseum, rather than taking a step forward, he appeared to be taking a step backward. Uh, you know, if you can get Dalvin Cook to produce like that every single night, it's going to make it a lot easier uh, to, to, to put Kirk Cousins in a situation like the one they had yesterday. Uh, and looking at the Viking schedule going forward, uh, they might have more opportunities to do that. I think the, the hope, if you're Mike Zimmer, if you're Rick Spielman, isn't that you can spend the whole rest of the season just running the ball 70% of the time and hoping that Kirk Cousins can be this really efficient game manager who goes 12 for 17 every week. I think the hope is that if maybe just over the next couple, three weeks, you get a couple more games like this, Dalvin Cook continues to produce like that. The defense plays well enough. Kirk Cousins, you know, does what he did yesterday, uh, that maybe you can build some confidence back in him, uh, get the offense, you know, so, some sort of rhythm, some sort of confidence to where maybe after a couple games, you start to slowly but surely open it back up. I mean, Obviously, Jefferson has proven to be a great player. They say they're not going to trade Adam Thielen. There's two good tight ends there. I mean, the weapons are all there. So I think what you're, what Mike Zimmer's plan, my guess is, is, you know, let's start slow. You know, it's almost like they're going back to square one here. You know, try to build Kirk Cousins back up by giving him, you know, <laughs> little small. It, it sounds so ridiculous for a guy that you made the highest paid quarterback in the NFL to have to treat him with kid gloves. But I think that's essentially what they're doing. And again, looking at that schedule, you've got the Lions, the Bears, the Cowboys coming up. I mean, there's some winnable games here that could really change the complexion of the Vikings season. And maybe if you do build some confidence with Cousins, maybe he's in a position uh, to be more like the quarterback we've seen at the very least uh, the last couple of years down the stretch. And if the, Viking, if the Vikings do win those games, because you're right, Detroit at home is winnable, in Chicago is winnable because they don't have an offense. Uh, they can't figure out their quarterback. Nick Foles is... Is awful to yesterday to the point where well maybe maybe Mitch Trubisky wasn't so bad at least he can move and then you got the Cowboys who are a wreck Carolina's that's a 50-50 game with Teddy and an unprolific offense so that's great the Vikings may be working their way back to the middle which some Vikings fans enjoy and maybe you get you're, you're among those teams in the playoff hunt that they, they show on those graphics toward the end of the season with three or four games left you're still you're still in the hunt um, but this is not a team that's going anywhere near the Super Bowl or an NFC Championship game. And again, it is an ad nauseum topic every week, but when the Vikings continue to hover back toward the middle, you know, they start one and five, you're headed toward a top five draft pick. Now two and five, and it looked good doing it. There's some hope there. The defense can only get better if they add back pieces and, uh, and you've got a favorable schedule. You're working your way back to the middle, which is where the Vikings have lived a lot of your lives if you're a Vikings fan. Uh, good, not great. 
never getting really high draft choices, and it is like a sore tooth that you just can't help to touch. But since they beat the Packers and they're now 2-5 and five and they work themselves away from a top-five draft pick, okay, this is, inter- <laughs> this is intertwined with the Cousins topic, of course, is that a lot of Vikings fans are hoping to get a high draft pick to get a quarterback of the future, one that can move, uh, since that's pretty much just that's what you need in 2020 and 21 and 22 probably to be a high-level NFL team. You need a quarterback that can throw and move. Vikings are better built for statue quarterbacks than most teams, but they went about as far as they could last year. Uh, wild card win, divisional round, pummeling. Okay, we, we are on the same page that it's probably not going to keep working out for Cousins, but they might still have to play them if they can't trade him, and who would want to trade for Kirk Cousins um, this year or next? He, his, he's too big of a cap hit. <laughs> If he got good enough that he was tradable, then you'd just want to keep him to the end of his contract. So, yeah, they're stuck with him. Yes, and and it'd be we talked last week in depth about Trey Lance and how we don't know because we don't think he's had enough experience in college, 16 games, to give it a large enough sample size, even though he has the measurables and the mobility to perhaps be that kind of next Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, anywhere in that ballpark. Great. Uh, We don't know, but hey, you could get him in the top 10. You could trade up for him. The Chiefs had a lot of pieces already in place and just traded up to number 10 to get Patrick Mahomes. Uh, To me, that's a lot more workable than tanking for Trevor. Um, And same thing for Justin Fields, but again, we explained, you go to Ohio State, you're so well protected, like Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett and Braxton Miller were, and where did they ever amount in the NFL? So I don't know if Justin Fields is an answer or not. I mean, he, he's throwing to wide-open receivers on every single pass he makes because he's so well-protected. Um, and his team is always ahead because they have a great defense as well. I don't, it doesn't mean it won't translate into the NFL. So where do we, where do we go with this? Um, because one team that could be a suitor for Kirk Cousins is the Niners because Garoppolo is either hurt or, or just, not, just not good enough to get them back. It's amazing they went to the Super Bowl with them last year, and apparently Kyle Shanahan loves Kirk Cousins, and they're one of the few teams that don't need a mobile quarterback. They've got a great ground game, and they've got a great defense. They've built it up over the years. For some reason, Shanahan loves Cousins. That's about the only team that seems feasible that would trade with the Vikings. So are your your feelings any different from the last few weeks? Now that the Vikings are 2-5, and could get back in at least toward 500, now you're looking at maybe a top 10 draft pick, maybe a top 15 draft pick, and that might not get the Vikings anywhere they want to go, especially if they want a quarterback. I say if you, if you finish about 500 and in the middle of the pack for draft status and you really like Trey Lance or Justin Fields, then you can maybe trade up to get, what, to get them. Yeah, I, can, I think I agree with that because unless the Vikings were to actually go into tank mode, which we know they're not going to, um, or, or, you know, if something catastrophic happened, like, you know, Cousins and or Cook, whatever, something going down, you look at their schedule the rest of the way, um, I think 6 and 10 almost now, we, you know, we talked about that being a high water mark. Maybe that's almost the, the, the potential low water mark, unless you think they're going to get swept by the Lions, swept by the Bears. I mean, that's possible. Um, but if they play like they did yesterday, all of a sudden, 7 and 9, 8 and 8, 9 and 7 looks not just possible, but maybe even likely. Um, so if that happens, it's like you said, you're not competing for a conference championship, Super Bowl, anything like that. Even if you do squeak into the playoffs, 
uh, you're basically just knocking yourself down uh, the draft uh, order. But I think that's okay. I, I mean, I think I've been pretty steady all along that I'm just not convinced that picking for, you know, I mean, if you pick first in a, when there's a slam dunk number one pick, okay, whatever. But even then a lot of those guys have, you know, usually it's a good player, but it's not always a, a slam dunk hall of famer and all the great quarterbacks in the NFL. We, you know, we talk about it every week, you know, Russell Wilson went in the third round and Tom Brady went in the sixth round and, you know, all these other guys that went late first round or wherever they went. Aaron Rodgers 25th, Pat Mahomes right. 10th, but 10th. not top even, five. Yeah. Right. And the chiefs didn't have to go two and 14 to get him. Um, you know, and even just look at the Vikings roster. I mean, uh, how many Dalvin cook was a second round pick, you know, Adam Thielen wasn't drafted. Uh, what was Stefan Diggs, a fifth round pick. I mean, some of the Vikings very, very best players are, are guys that they got, you know, late first round or, or in later rounds. So I don't think if, you know, if the Vikings go nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine, whatever it is, I'm certainly not going to be going, Oh gosh, if we'd have just gone four and 12, then we'd get this draft pick. I, I, you know, I never look at it that way. Um, it'll just, you know, the, the question is still going to, uh, focus around center around, what do you do with Kirk cousins? And that'll probably be determined by how he plays the rest of the year. If you know, he continues to be the guy that we've seen throughout this year so far, who is either terrible or on a leash, like he was yesterday, or if he, like I said, if they're successful in kind of slowly bringing him along, building his confidence back up to where by the end of the year, He's more of a playmaking quarterback, a guy who's, you know, doing things rather than just managing the game. You know, I think regardless, the Vikings clearly need to establish a quarterback of the future pretty soon. Uh, I don't see any scenario where they extend Cousins again. You know, even if he finishes this year outstanding, has another great year next year, I, I just don't see them taking that risk again after all the money they've sunk into him. Um, so whether it's at the end of this year or after next year, that next quarterback has to be in the picture here pretty soon. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in the draft. And like you said, it, it'd be one thing if they finished, you know, 13 and three, 12 and four, and they were going to be one of the last picks in the first round. But we know that they're going to be somewhere towards the middle probably. Uh, and they had a ton of draft picks last year. They've traded for more, you know, they just traded in Gawkway. I'm assuming they've got a bunch of picks uh, stacked already. I haven't looked to actually see how many they have going into the draft but they're certainly going to be in position to trade up if they have to. So I, I, you know, I don't think a whole lot has changed, I guess is what I'm getting around to. They're still going to, you know, be in a position to make a trade. They're still going to have to decide what they do with cousins. And I don't feel like if, if, you know, if they really, really rally here, go finish nine and seven, 10 and six and get into the playoffs. I still don't think that really changes much. Yeah. I believe they have 11, 12 or 13 draft picks right now. And they have so many in the middle rounds that they've been dealing for. They've got like three fourth rounders and three fifth rounders, and uh, mm -hmm. Rick likes to use those. And by the way, the trade deadline is on Tuesday. We can get to that, which players should or probably will go. Um, although hopefully people are listening to this podcast throughout the week, and this will be that trade deadline will be old news. So maybe we shouldn't do that. But I did the legwork. Your, your statement that uh, success is not guaranteed with a top five or top ten draft pick, especially at quarterback, I did my best to just do a little legwork to go back, and your point is mostly right. I looked at two drafts, 2016 and 2017, the top 10 picks, and it's like in 2016, almost eight or nine of the top 10 picks were hits as far as the players were immediately impactful, and the teams they went to quickly got really good, not just because of them, 
but mm-hmm. like they were great draft picks. Uh, and I use those two years because it takes a few years. Some, you know, some guys aren't used a whole lot in their first year and um, teams are bad when they get that high of picks. So give them a, two or three years to get good with those guys. Mm-hmm. But like 2016, Jared Goff, that's, you know, he's puzzling like he was yesterday against Miami, but overall, that's good. They, I mean, they went to the Super Bowl in his second year and his first year with McVay. Carson Wentz, okay, injuries, sure. He's a big reason why the Eagles w- won the Super Bowl. He w- didn't play in the playoffs, but he was, you know, an MVP candidate for most of his second year. Uh, so that was a hit. Number three in 2016, Bosa, Chargers. Does anybody doubt that was a great draft pick? He's one of the best pass rushers in the league. And uh, his second year, his third year, they went 12-4. and four. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Cowboys have been mediocre to good. And, he's a, and, he, and when they were at their best, his rookie year, 13-3, and three, uh, he was a big, huge reason why. So, I mean, that was a hit. Uh, Ram, again, none of these teams are Super Bowl teams except Philly, by the way, and the Rams made the Super Bowl. Uh, I'll go quickly, like Jalen Ramsey. I mean, immediately one of the best corners in the league in Jacksonville was about a minute away from a Super Bowl his rookie year. Uh, Baltimore took a tackle, and they've now had, they now have one of the best running games in the NFL. Uh, Buckner to San Francisco, they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, so on and on. So that was a good draft. 2017 is a little more helter-skelter. Okay, Miles Garrett was the number one pick. He's a great pass rusher. Cleveland's a much better team. Uh, you should be getting at least somewhat improved when you seem to have a top five pick every single year. Uh, Trubisky's a bomb. He was the number two pick. Solomon Thomas with the Niners traded down with that trade with the Bears just so the Bears could get Trubisky. Again, part of San Francisco becoming uh, one of the best teams in, in, in a couple minutes away from the Super Bowl last year. But Leonard Fournette, Jacksonville, gone. Corey Davis, Tennessee, you never heard from him. Jamal Adams, Jets, they're still terrible, and he's not with them anymore. Uh, Mike Williams, Chargers, again, they had one big year with him. I'd say he's a success. Christian McCaffrey, Carolina, uh, yes. I mean, they had an 11-5 year. But again, he didn't make them. I mean, they've struggled the last two years, even though he's one of the best players in the NFL. So, I mean, these guys could, you know, whoever, if the Vikings got a really high pick, top five, top ten, I guess my point is there's a good chance they'll be good and impactful, better than they'll be a bomb. Uh, but for them to immediately make you a Super Bowl team, which is everything the Vikings were short of, like in 2017 when they made the title game, like last year when they made the divisional game, no, there's no guarantee a top five pick and losing as many games as possible is is going to get you there. I know that was, a, a, but it, it was a long-winded uh, legwork to kind of uh, to see if you're your point was that you keep making week after week of being anti-tanking was uh, correct or not. Are, are you done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, hope, I hope people are still sticking with us, but I, I mean, I, I think kudos to you for doing the legwork on that. Um, you know, I think the greater point that I've been trying to make, not disagreeing with the point you just made is that you don't have to get those guys that early. It's certainly a lot easier to. I mean, the the success rate is obviously higher there, but we've seen a lot of great teams, and the Vikings have been one of those teams at times that have got great players later in the draft. And I just have never – there's never been a Viking season where, you know, whether they went 7-9 or 8-8 or 8-7-1 or whatever it was where I thought to myself, geez, if they would just lost two or three more games, think who they could have gotten in the draft. Because you don't know that they would have taken the right guy or what other guy would have been in it. You just don't know. 
I mean, it'd be easy. Even, you know, if they had traded up one year for, for, for Patrick Mahomes, they might not have taken him if they'd have been picking 10th that year. Uh, any of these others uh, drafts. And again, so many of the Vikings. Uh, remember when they took Anthony Barr? Uh, that was the year they so desperately needed a quarterback. And everyone, myself included, was really upset when they didn't take Johnny Manziel with that pick. They traded back up towards the end of the first round, took Teddy Bridgewater. I think that ended up being a decent pick. It wasn't their fault. It didn't work out in Minnesota. Um, But Anthony Barr turned out to be an outstanding player. That was a really good pick on their part. And most people didn't want to make it. They wanted him to take a quarterback there. Uh, Again, you know, Dalvin Cook, second round, all these other guys down the list. Um, I'm not going to lose faith in the Vikings' ability or, or I should say this, if I did, don't have faith in the Vikings' ability to find their next franchise quarterback or whatever, it isn't because of where they're picking in the draft. It's because I don't have faith in the guys making the picks. Sure. All right. And, and again, 2016, the top two guys eventually went to the Super Bowl quickly, Goff and Wentz. But are they two of the best 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Eh, probably not. Uh, and the, I think the one time the Vikings had a top five pick in the last decade, they took Matt Khalil. <laughs> right. So uh, there's, there's our weekly... Thing about that. By the way, uh, Kyle Rudolph, Riley Reef, Anthony Harris, three most likely Vikings to be traded before Tuesday's 3 p.m. deadline. If you're hearing this before 3 o'clock on Tuesday, then I don't think that's any big revelation to people who intensely follow the Vikings. I, it, it, from my discussion with Paul Allen the other day, the first guy he brought up was Riley Reef. Uh, he is having a good enough year, and he had a great game against the Packers yesterday. Uh, he and Ezra Cleveland, where has he been? He and Ezra Cleveland were the two highest-rated Vikings yesterday, according to PFF, Uh, not even Dalvin Cook. But Reeves seems to be the most likely guy just for what it's worth from Paul Allen. Um, And But, again, Rudolph and Harris, those are guys that probably you're not going to be able to pay for after this season, and you might as well get something back for them right now. So uh, I think if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm hoping those trades get made. And if they do, uh, especially if it's all three of those players, well, it's going to make the Vikings a little worse. It's going to make it a little bit harder to get to that 500 record anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a weird situation because I don't feel like any of those three guys are guys that you would be like, oh, no, don't get rid of him. Um, but also all three of them have, you know, are, are key contributors. They would be a much worse off team especially if you lost, like if you lost one of them or two of them, if you lose all three of them, that's, that's significant. Riley Reese having a pro bowl caliber season. He's having the best year of his career. We've talked for so long about the Vikings offensive line. They're getting a pro bowl season from the most important position on the offensive line this year. That's a big deal. Uh, the flip side of that is hopefully it means you can get something good for him in, in a trade that it isn't just, you know, a, a sixth round draft pick or something that maybe you can get some real value out of him. I mean, Anthony Harris was a great player last year. I don't feel like he's having quite as good of a year this year. I haven't looked at any of the numbers or rankings or anything. Um, but I, I think that would be another one that potentially you're willing to part with him if, if the price is right. And Kyle Rudolph has been mostly a non-factor this entire year. Yep. Uh, Irv Smith, obviously, I think is a, a guy with a bright future. I don't know if Irv Smith is a number one tight end. Um, but right now, I don't know that Kyle Rudolph is either necessarily. I don't think they'd miss him a whole lot. Yeah, Rudolph isn't likely to get the Vikings a high draft pick in return, but... I wouldn't think. He seems like the least attractive of the three, yeah. if I'm something trying to... Hey, uh, anyway, you can you can bully up that stock a little bit uh, to have your trading chips. Uh, go ahead and do it. Right. All right, so one last Vikings item. 
and I hope you don't mind doing this. And I, I, this wasn't even in my thought until I saw a Jim Suhan column in the Star Tribune today, because Adrian Peterson is still in the NFL, and he's with the Detroit Lions, and he'll be in Minneapolis on Sunday. And it won't be nearly as dramatic of a scene because there won't be any fans there. And I don't want to go down the road of how we look back on Adrian Peterson, the electrifying player that gave Vikings fans incredible memories and also perhaps somewhat of a garbage human being that uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't cheer for if he were introduced from the other team. Uh, Craig Maddock and I went through that last year when Washington came to town. But Suhan wrote about Cook versus Peterson and the better uh, player and the more valuable player for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and this comes, of course, a day after Cook has one of his best days, almost single-handedly beating the Packers' defense with 163 rushing yards, 63 through the air. You care to weigh in on this one? And then I'll tell you what Suhan said. Um, well, obviously, Dalvin Cook's the better player right now. But if you're talking about the Dalvin I'm talking about all-time, yeah, right. for right. Vikings. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you can put Cook in that play, in that in that uh, stratosphere just yet. I mean, Adrian Peterson's on the extremely short list of the greatest running backs of all time. Uh, Adrian Peterson in his prime, I think is the best running back I've ever seen. And I saw Barry Sanders in his prime, Emmett Smith in his prime, some of the really, really good ones in their prime. Um, he was that good. Now, Dalvin Cook, I think is a little more multidimensional. And I think I, I could see someone making an argument that that makes him a more valuable all around player or whatever it is. But, uh, I don't like Adrian Peterson much at all as a player or a person, but he was the best I ever saw. Um, so I, I would still put AD a, a good head and shoulders above every other Vikings running back there's ever been. Yeah, well, we'll see what, how Cook can produce. I would think his early prone to injury history here, just in his first three or four years, is going to lead me to believe he's not going to last nearly as long as Adrian Peterson did. Right. But uh, Robert Smith was really great too, but he could never stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. As Suhan writes, Cook is more elegant, more aesthetically pleasing, better footwork than Peterson, more of a what scouts call wiggle. Uh, Peterson could look stiff. He was a limited receiver. He also produced in a way that few backs in NFL history have. Uh, Cook would need to have a slew of performances like the one he had produced on Sunday to begin to compare to Peterson's body of work. So there's, there's that little tidbit. Okay, moving on. Nobody's listening anyway. 34 minutes of Vikings talk after beating the Packers. Trade deadline Tuesday, 3 p.m. And uh, the Vikings continue to work toward the middle. Uh, that's, that's how I would summarize the state of the Vikings. And Kirk Cousins continues to be neutered. Um, so, Friday night, we got a dose of the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, who prior to their 0-2 start were the toast of the town, uh, with, the, with it being pandemic 2020 and just a dreary year for our lives, period, but especially as sports fans, and then the Twins uh, do their usual playoff choke job, and the Vikings get off to an ugly start, and here come P.J. Fleck uh, and the Gophers off an 11-win season, and all right, we got Michigan in town, it's top 25 showdown, and Michigan looks like they have a quarterback, and the Gophers have no defense, and immediately, as usual, anytime there's any buzz for the Gophers in the last, well, 50 years, uh, it gets killed rather quickly. But boy, did they really take some steps back uh, with the way they lost to Maryland, both giving up 675 yards defensively, Zim, and blowing, I believe, a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, th does this diminish your confidence, or uh, 
glee for for PJ Fleck and the Fleck era? Um, I didn't have any expectations really going into this year for the Gophers. Last year was pretty special, even given that you know they blew their chance to make it really, really special. I like PJ Fleck, and I I think I believe in him. I mean, I know the whole row the boat and all that stuff is can be a little much for people, but for the most part, it's been pretty successful. Um, and I don't know that just because they won 11 games last year that that I necessarily thought they were going to take another step forward this year. That was a big, a big, big season for them, and they had a lot of great seniors that moved on. I mean, I know they still have a good roster coming back, but the idea that they were, you know, here to stay or whatever, I certainly hadn't bought into that. And, uh, you know, Michigan's a good team, I think. I mean, <laughs> they got beat by Michigan State. Um, obviously, I mean, I didn't watch either game. I wanted to watch both of them, and both times family stuff got in the way and I didn't get to. So, uh, you know, I can't comment specifically on, you know, what's wrong or what happened or anything. All I'll say is you're never surprised when the Gophers, you know, let you down or don't get it done or don't step up in a big game. Like I said, I don't think this season had Rose Bowl written all over it by any means, and I'm certainly not jumping off the P.J. Fleck bandwagon by any means either. But, you know, are they maybe not going to be very good this year? (laughs) Certainly that seems possible. Yeah, it seems like it. They played their toughest team on their schedule, Michigan. They haven't had, uh, unless Wisconsin's tougher to play, but Wisconsin, how many games is Wisconsin going to play with their COVID situation, their game getting canceled against Nebraska? And we'll get to that and how Nebraska looked in their scurrying to recover a game and the uh, pinata they became once again for the rest of the Big Ten and national media. But with Minnesota, you've, you've partly made the point, though, that the Gophers had the best year in your lifetime last year, and still your enthusiasm for them is low enough that you didn't watch the first two games coming off of that. Part of that may have had to do with the late start to the season, the fact that they were only going to play eight games, but that says it all about that the Gophers' status was elevated for you know, a millisecond. You know, the Penn State game last year and then the surprising bowl win over Auburn having 11 the number 11 in the win column and 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 great that's awesome but a lot of gopher fans are like you they're casual fans and the gophers take a deep back seat maybe the back seat back seat like the the, the trunk uh the hatchback to you know the vikings and the twins obviously and uh you kind of you kind of made the point by saying you didn't really seek to watch those games which were both night games by the way a Saturday night and a Friday night. But for those who are watching, real quick rundown here. Gophers have given up 87 points in their first two games, 1,156 yards, 675 against Maryland. And by the way, the defensive coordinator they fired two years ago before they went on the big run. Remember, the run didn't just start last year. They beat Wisconsin, and I mean, they creamed Wisconsin and Madison to take back the axe. That's when people really finally started to get happy about P.J. Fleck, and then I believe they won their bowl game over Georgia Tech after that. They fired their defensive coordinator, and they thought, Here's that, that's where they needed it. Fleck's, Fleck's doing great in recruiting, and the offense is there, and you got Tyler Johnson. He's a future NFL player. The defense all of a sudden is back to its 2018 form. Uh, it gave up fewer yards to Nebraska and Illinois in the two games that got the last guy, Rob Smith, fired. Uh, they gave up 650 apiece-ish in both of those games. So this was worse from the guy that replaced Rob Smith. And I, they had four guys that went to the pros, uh, but it's, it, it, 
It, it just looks like Gopher football is headed back to the Glenn Mason era, the Jerry Kill era, eight or nine wins, and the head coach may as well have a condo in Nashville. Uh, does that seem too harsh of a gavel to drop after two games? I don't think so. I, uh, <laughs> you know, we were joking about Glenn Mason earlier today, and I, I was a much bigger Gopher fan follower when in that those days I watched a lot more games. I was a Glenn Mason fan. Uh, when they the game that got him fired. They blew, what, a 35-3 to lead, something like that, in their bowl game. I think it was against Texas Tech or I somebody. I remember it well. You're right. Yes, it was. Yeah. And uh, I had always been on sort of Team Glenn Mason. And when they lost that game, I remember thinking, well, you kind of have to fire him now. Yes. Like, you don't really want to. You just kind of have to because this keeps happening. But then after they actually went and did it, I remember thinking, I wonder if they'll regret this. Because as much as it felt like you had to do it because you just can't tolerate continuing to choke so epically in these bowl games all the time, you're still going to bowl games all the time. You know, it kind of felt a little bit like one of those be careful what you wish for sort of things. And, you know, you have to, you know, something I always often say to my friends when we talk about whether or not a coach should be fired. I often say you don't fire a coach to punish that coach. You know, it's firing someone isn't supposed to be punitive punishment you fire them because you think there's someone out there who will do a better job um and in the gophers case they soon found right after they fired glenn mason like nobody wants to come coach here and then it ended up hiring tim brewster who was like their 10th choice who hadn't even been a coordinator right and it was almost like can we bring glenn mason back right now <laughs> you know it, it almost felt like like they should just fire him make him sit there for a couple weeks and then be like okay you can come back you know like like it really kind of made you like did you fire this guy because you thought there was someone out there better that you could get or did you fire him to punish him for blowing that game well and chances are usually when it comes to that situation where a college team first of all he was his own worst enemy he built up enough success even though the guys before him like goody and even lou holtz i think only won five and seven games in his two years but uh, Goody, Jim Wacker didn't win anything. Jim Wacker, no. I mean, they were, I mean, Minnesota was dog meat when Glenn Mason got there. And by year three, you know, he won eight and six, back to four, then eight, ten, seven and seven and six games. He was going to bowl games every year. Uh, and so first few years of that, he was a pleasant uptick. And then there, pro probably 2003 was the closest thing we have to equating to 2019, 11 and two last year. Uh, they finished 17th in the country. They won the Sun Bowl. They went 10 and 3. And legendarily that year, they had Michigan on the ropes, I think up by 21 or so, and they just blew a 21 point fourth quarter lead in the dome. And mm -hmm. uh, so that, that, that's, all, uh, that's all a perfect depiction of the Glenn Mason era. Good, solid, no longer a doormat, a tough out, occasional big upset. Uh, but finding a way to blow either a big win or a big season. And then after that 10 and 3, again, 7 and 5, 7, 5, 6 and 7, it's like, well, this is as good as he's going to get. And we just kind of have to move on from him, to your point. Uh, and he, so I tweeted about this after the, after the Gophers lost to effing Maryland on Friday, which, by the way, P.J. Fleck looked like an idiot the way he handled that game as a head coach. We, we all know this guy is 100%. Recruiting is his thing. Get the Gophers better players than they've ever had. And it's mostly working. Uh, it's interesting, some of his best players from last year that helped them get to 11 wins were Jerry Kill and Tracy Clay's recruits. But 
he he's a he's not a young head coach anymore. It's not like he hasn't been a head coach for about six or seven years now with Western Michigan and Minnesota. They blew a 17-point lead. They were beyond uh, ridiculously conservative and ignoring the fact they had the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten, one of the top five receivers late against a horrible Maryland defense. And I don't know what they're doing uh, with a minute and a half left to go in the game, fourth and two at the 47. They haven't played defense all quarter and they decided to punt it back to Maryland uh, when they've got a guy in Ibrahim who's been destroying Maryland all night. So, uh, he, I mean, it was not, not a whole lot to blame on the gopher offense that night, but that was not P.J. Fleck's best hour. Uh, I tweeted after the game, looks like we're back to Mason-era standards with a Jim Wacker defense. Now, Mason-era standards ne- isn't necessarily an insult he was winning seven to ten games his last, for most of the time he was there, which was a lot better than the decade before him. And, uh, but I'm sure people who know me well just translated that as sarcasm or a bad thing. And so one guy, Matt Schulte, who's a, been a loyal listener of, of mine for years, he follows you, you know, he, we, he apparently was incensed enough to tweet back, I'm 39 years old and Glenn Mason's the best coach we've ever had. To where Glenn Mason, and he, you know, he tagged Glenn Mason. <laughs> so Glenn Mason retweets that. <laughs> Glenn Mason wants to, wants to make sure his whatever thousand followers he has, mostly who are probably Gopher fans, uh, just, you know, j- just to be reminded there are still some Gopher fans out there who miss him. Uh, and, you know, my immediate reaction to that was maybe I shouldn't have hit send on phrasing it that way, that the Gophers are sinking to mason era standards and when i did a deep thought about this of course crawling back a little bit to the point because i want glenn mason to be a guest on a future radio show someday and uh now i'm in his doghouse well zim if glenn mason would have had tcf bank stadium and the resources and the money that the gophers are paying pj fleck and his assistants if he had that kind of support, I don't think anybody doubts Glenn Mason's recruiting or coaching chops. Um, but Minnesota was playing in the Metrodome, which was mostly a negative in recruiting. And uh, I think he would have had at least one or two 11 and two win seasons like last year had he had what PJ Fleck has at his disposal. And that he is, uh, and time heals, hindsight is 2020, but. Uh, Jerry Kill, by the way, and Tracy Clays with his one year as head coach. Those were eight and nine win teams most of the time. Uh, it just feels like the Gophers are more likely to revert back to that under P.J. Fleck than where he appeared to have them trending. I could be wrong. Maybe you are. I don't know. And you don't care enough to keep talking about it. <laughs> okay. So then there were the Huskers who didn't get to play this weekend. Uh, The Wisconsin Badgers had, it turns out, over 22 cases of COVID in their program. But when they canceled the game on Wednesday morning, it was their top two quarterbacks, like six six total players, their head coach and their offensive coordinator. Their head coach, for goodness sakes. As far as I know, you're supposed to quarantine after you get COVID. You can't go to work. How do you work without your head coach? I guess Zoom and stuff, but. They canceled the game, and Husker fans started to uh, – this isn't all about Husker fans. I don't want to make this segment all about Husker fans, but, um, you know, they started to accuse Wisconsin of being afraid to play Nebraska when Wisconsin 
had beaten Nebraska and really beaten the blood out of them uh, to a pulp like seven straight times. Uh, and they could probably do it with a third-string quarterback because they do what the Vikings did to the Packers on Sunday. And, and, and Nebraska goes, and they clearly went and just uh, did did a full-out sprint to find a dance partner with less than 72 hours before what kickoff would have been with Wisconsin. And apparently the two teams they went after the most were Massachusetts and Tennessee Chattanooga. Uh, these are both FCS teams. And from what I've been told by Husker insiders who uh, supposedly are in the know, those are teams they had already talked to in August before the season started in case something like this happened. And the Big Ten basically said, no, we had, we had this rule. We set the rules. Uh, we set the parameters back in August that we're, it's going to be a conference game only season, and we are not going to let you, Nebraska, uh, put somebody else in Memorial Stadium to have a game when that's the rule for every team. And Nebraska was made to, like they were when they fought to have football. Uh, and they and Scott Frost hinted that he'd like to play games outside of the Big Ten if the Big Ten wasn't going to have a season when the Big Ten canceled its season. Uh, again, Nebraska seems to be the nation's pinata uh, because they 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 seem like spoiled children because they wanted to play a football game so badly. How did you look at all that? Um, I I, I don't want to say that I sided with the Big Ten necessarily, but when I heard that they had. A, had the game canceled, and then B, were looking to replace it, I kind of thought, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. And uh, then, you know, it came out that, well, that that was essentially what they were told, and they were once again faced with potentially going rogue or whatever, and, you know, it worked out the way I guess everyone probably expected it would. And then, you know, Nebraska fans crying foul and saying we should go back to the Big 12 or fuck Kevin Warren or whatever it was. All those things yes. came back out of the woodwork again, and, and all that's to be expected – um, but I, you know, I don't think Nebraska was wrong. Um, I think, you know, it's unfortunate what happened. I mean, I don't, I don't blame them for wanting to play. It's, it sucks for them, but you know, this is the reality of, of, of this year's college football season. And, you know, to suggest that it's some sort of conspiracy or that Wisconsin didn't want to play him or whatever. I mean, we both know how ridiculous that yeah. is. Well, it, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at both sides as well here. I, there, I don't think there should be anything wrong with them trying to get a game scheduled. I, I don't at all. Uh, players want to play, and according to Scott Frost in his press conference today, N Nebraska was offering the kinds of things like paying for other, you know, stuff that was set up and agreed upon if the Big Ten was going to be willing to let Nebraska do this, which is PCR tests for their players on Thursday and Friday, whether whoever the opponent would be, and... Uh, you know, paying, paying for the tests and making sure the tests were done. So both teams had nothing but players who had tested negative for COVID and let's play a game. And, and of course, some Husker haters were saying, well, Nebraska's just trying to beef up its record by playing a shitty team. It's like, no, they want to play a game. Yeah, obviously, that's an easier win than Wisconsin, but uh, they only have eight games in the first place. They're not the team that had the COVID outbreak. They've been doing things right, obviously, to prevent the spread there. So uh, I, I think it's ridiculous to... Uh, pan Nebraska for that, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, Scott Frost came across as very sulky today at his press conference that they, could, that they couldn't get this done and that the Big Ten wouldn't let him do it, and he was passive-aggressive in, in his remarks today, 
And it, it just goes along. I get it. It's been really hard to be a member of the Big Ten in a pandemic year where you want to play football. And you want your program, which is near the bottom of the league and the bottom of its relevance for most people's lives, to get the chances to get better when you think you're getting better. And Frost talked about the chip the players have on their shoulders. And basically, we're back to the way Bo Pelini operated, which is, it's us versus the world. Everybody hates us. Nobody wants us to uh, advance or succeed. And so now the players are motivated and... That's great. It never it never worked at a championship level for Bo Pelini's teams uh, to have that. Um, and and another way this was looked upon, Nebraska going, knowing that the Big Ten had said you can't play anybody outside the conference this year, and they still tried. Uh, you know, the best way I heard it being de- depicted was your parents tell you you can't do something. You know, you, you can't go out Friday night. Well, why not? Because you can't. Well, that's a dumb rule. But you can't. Why not? Because we said so. That's the rule. And, and, then they, and then the kid, you know, the Huskers tried to sneak out anyway and eventually were, you know, caught by their parents. I mean, it's a little hypocritical of the Big Ten who decided it was going to be a conference-only season back in whatever it was, July or August. And then they made up a new rule as they went along and said, nope, we, it's too unsafe. We can't have football at all. We're not going to have football at all. And then they reversed their course again under lots of different kinds of pressure, mainly because if we don't have a season, we're not going to, and Ohio State doesn't make the CFP playoffs, we're not going to get conference money for that for all of our schools. Uh, We stand to lose a lot more financially, every team, every school, if we don't have football. It'll also hurt all these programs recruiting if they're the only major conference that doesn't play. I mean, so the Big Ten continued to make up new rules as it went along, and it would not allow Nebraska to, uh, you know, that they wouldn't make up a new rule for Nebraska in Nebraska's special case as it went along for Nebraska to play a game. You know what I mean? So I think the Big Ten looks hypocritical and Nebraska looks a little whiny because ultimately, you know, they couldn't do what they were told they couldn't do. I think you covered all of that. Is that a way of saying let's move on? Yep. (laughs) Okay. Um, Nebraska could have played South Dakota State or could have at least tried to play South Dakota State. Uh, when, when Wisconsin had canceled that game and one of the Husker reporters on Wednesday had said, hey, look, Nebraska might be looking into an FCS opponent. At first, I kind of laughed and I, I tweeted and tagged John Stiegelmeyer, hey, hold it up big. How about that game you guys are going to play with Nebraska in the fall? And then I thought, well, why don't I just see if, why don't I just call Stiegelmeyer, text him, see if Nebraska's called them. That would seem completely feasible to me. And as it turned out, Nebraska had not called them. Stiegelmeyer said, oh, Stiegelmeyer's answer immediately was, yes, we'd play them for a guarantee. And the guarantee was 515 grand, which was agreed upon a, a couple of years ago to play this season. And, uh, and then I finally got a hold, or Justin Sell got back to me, and he didn't know Stiegelmeyer had talked to me, and Stiegelmeyer wanted to play the game and was waiting, not waiting by the phone for Nebraska to call, but, but certainly thought his team would be ready to play and would love to play a game in Lincoln on Saturday. And, and uh, Sell said, uh, no, there'd be too many COVID protocol hoops to jump through. And I just can't, you know, we, they've just been practicing all fall. I don't think they're ready to play a game yet. And you know, we'd have to go to our university medical advisors and all this kind of stuff. And I said, and I, and I finally put them on the spot. If you want to go to kwsn.com, uh, the story's still up there. I said, Justin, if Nebraska paid for it all, 
and said, we'll do X, Y, and Z, and we can do this in a heartbeat, and we'll pay you this amount of money, would you do it? After all you've said about how you think it would be impossible. And he said, well, I guess there's no way we wouldn't consider that. But it never happened. Uh, and according to the Husker insiders I know, uh, that I, I said, why wouldn't Nebraska call South Dakota State? And the only answer they could come up with was, well, there's no way Nebraska would pay the full 515 grand or the full guaranteed money to any team. But the kind of money any team would get on less than 72 hours notice to go to Lincoln and play the Huskers would be uh, a severely reduced rate. You'd get something, but you wouldn't get the half a million you usually would as an FCS team. Uh, so Nebraska never called the Jackson. They never played. And I did think it was interesting that USD Athletic Director David Herbster responded to me by saying, no way uh, would our football team be ready to play a team of Nebraska's caliber and me to feel good about that for any amount of money. Uh, slightly different ways of thinking between the two programs. I don't think they're that far different of thinking. Just I think David Herbster articulated it maybe a little bit better um, because my first reaction to the idea was the same as Mr. Herbster's. That's not safe. That's not a good idea. I get John Stiglmeyer. He's the coach. His guys have been chomping at the bit to play forever. If you throw that, you know, $515,000 there, obviously you got to consider that. But I think ultimately, even if that had been the offer, which as you said, it clearly would not have been, I think ultimately the answer would have been no. I don't think that would have been a good idea under any circumstance. And it never even occurred to me that it might happen, that that would, that that would be a potential scenario and I think it's probably better off for everyone that that didn't happen. I think that would have been a really bad idea. Because you think the Jacks would have been destroyed? It's a bad idea for COVID reasons. It's a bad idea for the Jacks haven't played at all. They've been, I mean, I know they've been practicing, but they haven't been practicing with the idea that there was a game coming up, let alone a game against a Big Ten team. I just, I, I think other than the check and, you know, I guess getting to play a game, I, I see very few positives in them doing that. Okay. I, I think, think, I think David, David Herbster's quote, there's no amount of money in which I would put my team on in that circumstance. I couldn't phrase it any better. I think that's the proper way to look at that. Right. I think some Yotes fans translated that as, we're USD, we have integrity, and SDSU, oh, you know, at least they'd consider it. Um, I, don't, I don't know about that. Did you, what do you think? They wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have ended up doing it. Sal uh, made it pretty clear they wouldn't, although I, I guess I don't, I don't know if it would have been as bad of an idea. And again, I'm, I'm a pessimistic, which I would rephrase as realistic Husker fan. With Kay Johnson, uh, I, I thought there was zero irrationality to the possibility of South Dakota State had they played Nebraska this year and Kay Johnson would have been there, that they, would, they could have beaten Nebraska or at least hung around like they did in 2009 and like they did in 2013. And uh, I have no issue with anybody who said Wednesday and Thursday that uh, you know, North Dakota State would have played Nebraska. They probably would have won. Well, of course they probably could have. They've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Minnesota in recent years. Nebraska is not much better than those teams that the Bison beat. But why do you think it would be COVID reasons? Uh, again, what Frost said today was for the teams they were talking to, the, I'm guessing the best, highest-end Possible tests, two tests, Thursday and Friday, bring the players that are uh, negative and safely bring them here. And our players have been tested and obviously doing a great job of not having 
any COVID outbreaks, as far as we know it, in Nebraska. So why would it be a horrible idea for COVID reasons? I just don't know that we're they'd be in a position to do it safely. I mean, there's cases are skyrocketing in yeah. South Dakota. SDSU, you know, the reason the Missouri Valley didn't have a season is because they weren't confident they could meet the NCAA's testing protocols. Now, maybe that has changed since that decision was made, uh, but I, I don't know what their situation is. Uh, but again, it, it just... I never considered that that was a possibility. It was never going to happen. Well, SDSU did have a scrimmage on Saturday, and you were there, and it it gave you something to watch, some sort of glimpse into what kind of a team they'll be if this season gets played starting in late February through April. And we can get into the finer details, but overall, what were your observations of the Jackson? How good of a football team they might be? Uh, I wasn't impressed, to be honest. Um, now, to be fair, you know, a lot of guys weren't weren't playing. Um, and again, it's a little bit of a different situation because who knows how motivated these guys are, you know, to give their best in a circumstance like that. I mean, it, you, you hype it up as a spring game and obviously it's their first chance to play in basically a year. Uh, but also it's obviously different. You know, there were hardly any fans there. They had said there were going to be maybe a couple thousand fans because they, I guess they sold a thousand tickets to students. Well, none of them showed up. Um, now, part of it, the weather was awful. That was a big factor, not only probably in the crowd being shitty, uh, but the fact that the, the offenses were shitty, too. They couldn't throw the ball at all. Like I said, guys were missing. Um, and, and it's hard. It's always – I've covered 100 spring football games in the last 20 years between SDSU, Augie, USF. and You never really know what you're seeing. You know, you never really know – you know, if it's high scoring, does that mean the defenses stink? If it's low scoring, does that mean the, you know, if it's a blowout, does that mean, you know, this team doesn't have the, that it's, the team isn't very balanced. If it's a close game, does it mean they're really, you just never know. And you ask the coach and they don't know. Um, you know, I think everyone kind of wants to see something of a stalemate because it's, you know, you're playing against yourself. Um, but just, you know, watching the Jacks, I mean, let's face it. The reason the Jacks are supposed to be good next year or this year, whatever you want to call it, is they're supposed to have all these offensive weapons. Well, they already lost Cade Johnson, so that's obviously going to be a huge hit to them. Uh, Pierre Strong finished last season on the injured list. Uh, he's supposedly back healthy. He's been practicing. The one practice I went to, he looked fine. But they held him out of the game yesterday. I agree with that decision. It doesn't make any sense. Pierre Strong's by far, especially now that Cade Johnson's gone, he's by far your most important player. Don't expose him to contact in the spring game. I get it. Um, but Jabori Gibbs didn't play. And I know he's coming off a, a you know a torn ACL, uh, but you know back when we thought the season was going to start in September, he was saying Stig was saying you know he'll be ready to go when the season starts. Well, if the season had started on time, it'd be almost over right now, and they're saying he's still not ready. That's certainly not a good sign. And then on top of that, the guy who was going to compete with him for the job, the guy who played very well last year when he stepped in, Keaton Heidi, uh, had a terrible day. Uh, yesterday in the spring or Saturday in the spring game. Now, again, it was very windy. The conditions were very difficult. Uh, not, I don't know how much of it was his fault. I think all three of his interceptions were tipped passes. I mean, he definitely made some mistakes out there and only complete. He was two of 10 with three interceptions. I mean, that's not good. No matter, you know, what's causing it. He didn't lead any scoring drives for the number one offense. That's not good. Uh, the positives were even the running backs after Pierre strong, all looked pretty good. Uh, the starting offensive line, Wes Janant is back. I thought they looked pretty good. Uh, defensively, you know, you lose a Christian Roseboom and some other guys. There aren't maybe as many of the, 
it's almost got the feel of a little bit of a no-name defense. Um, but it looks, again, like they're really deep on the defensive side of the ball. The last couple of years, they've been a lot better on defense because they've been so deep. They've been able to play up to 20, 25 guys on defense. It looks like maybe they'll be able to do that again. Um, and some of the more impressive guys on offense were freshmen. I mean, the best quarterback on the day was Mark Gronowski, a true freshman right out of high school. He outplayed all the other quarterbacks. And uh, Isaiah da- Davis, Kenyatta Williams, a couple running backs, young guys, looked really good too. So were there positives? Yeah. Um, but, you know, were there concerns? Yeah. I mean, I think it, you come away with it going, I'm not really sure what we got here. I mean, isn't the X factor Gibbs? That's the only thing I think about is he could be a prolific player. Of course, there's question marks because he's coming off a torn ACL. but And it's obviously taken him a long time to recover from it, but, too. Yeah. But won't a lot ride on him? Won't, won't a lot of, if they're not going to be as surefire a number two team in that league as they are year in and year out, but they're talented enough to at least threaten that, won't it, won't, it, won't it come down to a lot of plays he can make if you're if you don't have as many stars on defense as you have had, and uh, you don't have the weapon in Cade Johnson that you do? Well, that's just it. Who's he going to throw it to? Um, the Yankee Twins are pretty good players. Uh, there's some other guys. Deion Campbell, he's another guy who didn't play uh, on Saturday. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, I, I don't know. I mean, Jabori Gibbs has the potential to be an electric player. We saw that. At times last year, but again, we're not even—we don't even know for sure that he's going to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the way Keaton Heidi played on Saturday tells me that Gibbs is probably going to be. I mean, Jamari Gibbs would definitely beat out the performance we saw from Keaton Heidi on Saturday. But Gibbs apparently still isn't ready to go. Uh, Thirteen months after he tore his ACL, uh, so that's certainly not encouraging. Well, um, he has like three and a half months, I guess. He has three and a half months to be ready. And yeah, yeah, he might not have as many great targets to throw to, but if he can, if he can make the plays with his legs, uh, they could win a lot of close games just by him tucking it. Well, away. he's he's a good at he's not Taron Christian. Uh, he is not that kind of quarterback. Gotcha. He can move, he can run, but he's not that kind of guy. He's not going to be a guy that you're going to, you know, call specific plays for him to rush for 100 yards in a game. Right. Anything else from the Jacks scrimmage football? Um, no. It okay. was, uh, they did a, they did a good job of, uh, masking up and keeping everybody safe. I'd say that it was the first time I've done a press conference from, uh, via zoom and it worked out pretty well. So it was, it was nice to see them successfully execute that game, uh, given everything that's going on right now. You know, beyond all your thoughts here, which were some tweets that I saw of yours on Saturday, the only other thing I could provide from that stood out to me about SDSU spring football, and I'm not even going to pretend I've, I've read your full write-up on it, sorry, uh, was 2,500, huh? Wow, that almost matches their uh, playoff game crowds. That's awesome. 2,500, okay. Well, there were about 300 people there. <laughs> okay, so it was, it was like the capacity was 2,500. Well, I had heard that they had, sold, they had sold that many tickets, whatever that means. And the weather was, even the weather Saturday. <laughs> it, was, it was not a pleasant day outside. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, all right. By the way, do, do you want to save uh, Summit League preseason basketball outlook? Is that worth giving a, a mention? The the votes, the preseason awards, all that stuff? No, I think it's the bigger news before we get out of here is today finding out the Jacks are going to play in the crossover classic. You know, that announcement was made. Uh, <laughs> the Sanford people conveniently leaved out, left out why that's the case. Utah bailed because <laughs> they saw how many COVID cases are in South Dakota and said, yeah, we're not coming. Um, but that worked out to South Dakota State's favor. That's a big deal for the Jacks uh, if this thing goes, ends up being held. And I think with Utah bailing and 
coronavirus cases doing what they're doing right now, it's probably not a given. Uh, but if it does happen, that's three national TV games for the Jacks. They don't get too many of those. Um, and they're going to get to play Creighton in that first game. And, you know, you've seen the field. You know who else is in there. This is a really big deal for them to get into that field. So fingers crossed that this thing happens. It'd be a big deal for the Jacks. Well, probably considering SDSU's been one of the top 10 or 15 mid-majors for about almost a decade now, this is as close as they'll have the home games against teams like that. Like Creighton would never come to Brookings, would they? I doubt right. they would. Right. There'd That's be nothing point. in it for the there'd be nothing worth it for the Blue Jays to ever come to Brookings, let alone even host South Dakota State and Omaha. But right. Yeah. Well that's cool. Uh but do you uh what'd you do Friday? Did you go trick or treating? I, I know you you probably went you probably chased those big parties out at the bars, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The more the more people the merrier, right? We uh had Arthur the night before Halloween, so we uh he dressed up in his blue, the Velociraptor from Jurassic World costume and what we did was we kind of had like a halloween easter hunt in the house since he couldn't go trick-or-treating so we put a bunch of candles and turned on the lights and turned on spooky halloween music in the basement and then hid a bunch of candy and so he went around with his uh trick-or-treat bag and found candy and that was his version of trick-or-treating okay did you, and did you guys dress up you know have some fun partake in costume wearing as well just for the kid nope <laughs> Jeez, I, I get you think we're too old as adults. We went through that last week to, to dress up, but do it for the kid. It was too short notice. <laughs> too short? What do you mean too short of notice? You know, you know the whole year when Halloween is coming. Can you not tell that I'm trying to end this thing yet? I'm eating my dinner now. Uh, Jesus, hang up. All right, fine, fine. I'll hang up on you. I'll be I'll be happy with doing that. We'll talk to you next I week. I went to work. Oh, what? Huh? Never mind. You sure? Yep. Okay, Zim. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Nobody's Listening Anyway. We'll talk to you next week. That was see, that was how... so lame. That was the worst fucking. No, yeah. that's how you do it. Do it that, that way next time. What are you eating, by the way? None of your damn business. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. You go. You go eat. See ya. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Guys, you know, round drinks? Yes.